Welcome to project two, play. Also find your thing because this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to find your thing and build a life where you can do as much of it as possible. So I want to start by introducing you to this idea that we are living in a world where we are living three times as long as our ancestors. And in 1841, I did a little bit of research about this because I was quite curious to see how life expectancy had changed. And I found a very interesting article which explained that in 1841, in the UK, the average girl was not expected to see her 43rd birthday. So just think about that. You know, you probably would have, if you had survived through childhood diseases, not having vaccinations, if you'd made it through childbirth, having babies at a horrifically young age for us today, you would be doing very well if you had made it to 42 years old and you could die quite happily knowing that you'd had a good life. Well, I'm 35, so the idea that <laughs> I've only got 10 years left, less than 10 years, is absolutely horrific to me. In 2022, when I'm recording this, it is completely expected that I will see my 81st birthday and that's only getting longer and longer, the life expectancy that we have. There is a fantastic book by a, I think he's a geneticist called David Sinclair, or maybe he's a biologist, and it's called Lifespan. And it's all about how we can be improving the length and the quality of life that we have. And it's fascinating. I do recommend reading it um, if you have time. The thing is, we're living in a sense though that we still will disappear, we will, uh, I can't think of any more, <laughs> we will pass on, pass over, pass through at 43. And Esther Perel is a wonderful therapist who talks about how this affects our relationships. So if you think that previously we used to marry purely for or really for an advantageous reason, it would be to, you know, make more money, um, or not make more money, but that's a bit wrong, um, <laughs> but it would be to get yourself in a more advantageous social position. It was for security, it was for safety. You probably didn't have a lot of say in who you were going to marry. Your parents, your family, or your king would have decided that for you. And now we are looking for our partners to fulfill so many roles. We want them to be our lovers. We want them to be our best friends. We want them to stay with us as we grow and develop and change and as they grow and develop and change because we're living for a very long time. So if you meet someone in your 20s and you're with them until you're in your 80s, hopefully, um, that's a lot of lives to be with one person. And that is affecting our happiness and it's affecting our expectations. So this also applies to our working life and our professional lives. There are so many of my clients who have achieved amazing things by really a very young age and they're left with a sense of, well, pff, what now? Similarly, there are those of us who are the late bloomers and we don't find what we want to do until we're in our 30s, our 40s, or our 50s. 
Encouragingly, actually, there are more and more lists coming out of kind of, you know, people who've started businesses or started writing books in their 50s or their 60s. And I find those kind of lists very exciting. It used to just be very focused on, you know, 30 under 30 or whatever. But how this relates to play is that play is our key. It's our way to unlock what it is that we want to be doing that will make us feel happy, it will give us purpose with all this extra time that we have, whilst having the backdrop of the modern world. So play has several functions if we talk about biology and also about social practices. If you think about how animals play, you know, I'm volunteering at this horse sanctuary at the moment and there are horses there who are 25, generally they're quite elderly horses, and they still roll around on the floor, they play, you know, they're grannies and granddads of the horse world. They've been through pretty traumatic things, to be honest, there's no horse that's had a lovely life at the sanctuary, but they play and you can see the way that play releases stress from them. And we are animals. So play releases endorphins in our body. Play also improves memory. It stimulates the growth of the cerebral cortex. There's lots of studies to show this. And it also triggers the secretion of BDNF, which is a substance I have discovered. Uh, <laughs> that's essential for the growth of brain cells. So if we're going to live longer lives, which I hope we are, then play is a very important part of that process. Now, you might have some things that you're not so happy with in your life, or you might not even have voiced the things you're not happy with. And that can be for a number of reasons, but usually it's because we're conforming to our nurture, the way that we've been brought up, the way that we've been socialised, the way that our society has told us is the correct way to behave. And Martha Beck does a lot of work on this. And she writes about how we can connect with our nature, which is us, when you take away all of the culture that affects you and you really get back to who you are, the essence of you, and, and what you want to do, and how you enjoy being with yourself. And play is a way to do that. So prioritizing play and reconnecting with who you are is the second step after creating the space for yourself to find out what you really enjoy, what makes you tick, and how you want to spend your time. And then after you've done that, and you've started to ask those questions and to get some answers, then we just start filling in the gaps to move you towards where you want to be and the life you want to be living. So I invite you, as you work through these lessons, to think about how you can bring play into them, whether that's physical play, through movement, ritual play. There's a, I'll put a link to a TED talk which talks about the five play archetypes. And it's, it's interesting, and I, I want to bring this idea to you before we get started, that if you don't know how to play, you've forgotten because you've been being a grown-up for so long. It's a skill. All these things are skills. When I adopted my first dog, Rosie, I realised I didn't know what games to play with a puppy. 
And the same when I was teaching kids English. I didn't know what to do. I hadn't spent time with children for a very long time. So I Googled it. <laughs> I Googled, how do you play with, how do you play with children? how do you play with a puppy? And once I got a couple of ideas, of course, then I started to have millions of ideas myself. So don't feel, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my God, I don't know how to play. Oh, I've become so boring. You know how to play. It's just, you need to, you need to connect the plug. You need to plug back into what you actually enjoy doing to play. Um, and the easiest thing to do even is to just do some star jumps. I used to do that before webinars or before live calls to get a bit of energy. And you do a couple of star jumps and you get some energy flowing. The endorphins start and then you're in a different mental state. So I will see you in our first lesson, which is on values.